Welcome to a bonus episode of the Uptime Podcast. I'm Alan Hall, president of WeatherGuard Lightning Tick, and I'm here with Wind Power Labs' Joel Saxum. And Joel and I have been looking at some of the whale incidents and the whale deaths that have been occurring on the northeast of the United States. And it's raised a lot of issues along the East Coast, particularly with uh, state and local governments that are concerned about these uh, deaths and there's a lot of finger pointing going on right now, Joel, in, in regards to what is causing these whale deaths and our offshore wind turbine operations, uh, particularly the sonar scans that are happening at the moment, harming the whales. And, and the whales that they're most interested in and are most concerned about are right whales because there's about 350, 400 right whales left on the planet. And we want to make sure we continue that species. So when we see a right whale end up on the shoreline, particularly down in New Jersey lately, it raises a lot of concern. So, I mean, Alan, we, you and I dug into a lot of the data. And what the data tells us is that the majority, I think 58% we saw within U.S. waters were deaths of the right whales were due to uh, fishing gear entanglement. And then the other large percentage of them was from vessel strikes. And there's a small percentage of them that they're that are kind of mysteries. We don't we don't know, right? Um, but the majority of them is from from fishing, and it would be commercial fishing, of course, and vessel strikes. So they've put in in 2008 um, a government agency. I can't remember which one put in a, a law and had certain uh, areas that they blocked out. Basically, during certain seasons, they know where they're doing cat where calving is. They know where the whales are traveling to their feeding ground. So they put in, and a lot of them are around ports, uh, these these areas where they have these 10 knot speed limits for any vessel that's over 65 feet. And the idea is, is they, they, found, they went through a bunch of studies and found that between 10 and 14 knots uh, of speed is when the mortality rate of a collision increases. So it went up once those 10 to 14 knot speeds and, and higher were, were breached. So they want to keep all of those vessels under 10 knots. Smart move. Right, I think that's great. If you're gonna click on any pictures or websites and research the same thing that Alan and I have been looking at for the last while, uh, do it after you've had a meal or something, because there's some just not pretty pictures of right whales uh, on the on the internet that have been hit by vessels. It's a it's pretty it's a pretty sad sight to see. So it's not not something we want to see. But what we're what we are seeing, and I say we as Alan and I, looking through a lot of data here. So we looked at where we see all of the auctions happening for, for the wind off the East Coast. We also looked at marinetraffic.com uh, and some of the, the marine, which tracks all the AIS system on commercial vessels and stuff around the world. And it gives you, us maps of where all the traffic has been, uh, the, the ocean going traffic for the last few years. So we looked at those. We also looked at the maps of the whale deaths. We looked at the maps of where these 10 knot speed limits are some more maps from you know NOAA and the fisheries organizations about where cabin grounds are and where these other items uh, that have to do with right whales are and and what they're basically how does it interact with what our society is doing society as a whole right where's the shipping traffic when how's it coming in what is where's the fishing uh grounds look like and we, we saw we read an article actually that had a lot of um right whale um Inter, you know, negative right whale interaction, some of them deaths up in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, up out of Halifax and Quebec there, or not Halifax, but New Brunswick and Quebec, because um, 
they're swinging the whales are swinging around there with water temperature changes for summer feeding grounds and then all of a sudden they're running into new hazards that they're not used to which is a lot of fishing nets up there so we're what we're trying to do here is tie together what is reality right and alan maybe you can share the what's what's kind of happening in the politics of the east coast there uh, that's that's driven us to to do this research yeah, well, it's mostly in New Jersey at the moment, but we've seen some activity in, off the coast of Massachusetts and particularly in Nantucket, right, which used to be a, a big whaling island off the coast of Massachusetts. Uh, the group of New Jersey mayors recently are calling for an immediate moratorium on offshore wind energy development until federal and state scientists can assure the public that ocean noise related to underwater seabed mapping, soil borings, and other turbine construction activities poses no threat to whales. So. The local governments are, are saying that uh, the whale deaths are a mystery and that the sonar scans around the wind turbine areas where wind turbines will be installed over the next several years are somehow damaging the whales, injuring the whales, causing the whales to be confused, and it is killing them. Uh, and But that link is not made solid, all right? It's a very murky link. Now, w- there's a couple of organizations, environmental organizations, that are backing this claim. Uh, Cindy Zips, uh, executive director of the environmental organization Clean Ocean Action, said in a statement earlier uh, that the offshore wind companies are being allowed by federal regulators to disturb and harm a certain number of whales and other marine animals during pre-construction and construction activity. And I, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that so far. So it, it's an interesting statement, but it's not really backed up by evidence yet. And uh, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management uh, Center for Marine Acoustics responded to those claims and said there's just no sound evidence that high-resolution geophysical surveys, uh, which map the sea bottom, are causing any harm to marine mammals. So there's a direct statement from... You know, federal agencies saying, hey, we looked into it and it's not causing any problems. Now, Joel, you and I have been going back and forth looking at sort of more, uh, a study that happened from 2017 to about 2021 of documenting where these whales are dying at. And yeah, there are some whales dying off the East Coast. But like you said, a lot of them are dying up in Canada in the summertime because they're getting tangled in nets. And the number of whales that have died based on just the tracking that has happened are in less than 10 per year-ish, right? And you, I think the biggest number I saw was like in the 30s back in 2017. So the number of whales that have deceased this year is not necessarily way off the charts. It's probably more in line with uh, the normal range. If anything, that could be normal, which is this whole thing is weird because why, why, why is the big fight against offshore wind when there's really little to no activity happening? What's 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 the push? Alan and I, of course, we're not going to we're not going to sit here in front of you guys and tell you that we're marine mammal scientists or that we are super genius acoustic and subsea acoustic engineers or anything like that. But we we do have some qualitative data and some basic knowledge around both of those things, right? From our past and and, and life travels, so. You know, we've, we've walked through, like, does it make sense? Um, the act, we know the activities that are going on for site characterization, geophysical surveys, magnetometer surveys, uh, you know, the actual geotechnical drilling or core sampling that's going on out there. And, and the, it's minimal, really. Like, if you're talking magnetometer surveys, 
you're cruising around dragging a magnetometer at three, four knots. Uh, geotechnical surveys, you're stopped, right? Like you're that vessel's on DP and it's and it's just doing one bore sample. Like okay, vibro core, you're sending a little bit of vibration into the dirt. It's, it's not enough to harm a, you know a, that, that acoustic emission might last 100 or 200 meters in the water. Um, you know, a, a near surface seismic refractance that they might maybe doing for looking for boulder clearance or trying to find where this, the seabed, you know, the, uh, the bedrock is, that's a little bit more invasive, but still it's, it's not, it's not seismic, you know, blasting off air cannons, looking for oil and gas 5,000 meters deep. So the, the level of impact to the local environment is, is, is really minimal, right? You, you, you might be able to, transmit that a, a kilometer or two through the water, but that's just uh, some, a little bit of acoustic noise, right? A, a vessel, a, a, a sh an oil tanker cruising through, churning up the water with its propellers and, and making waves and stuff is going to make more acoustic noise in the water than that, that simple activity is. The other one there that's the wild card, right, is, is echo sounders, right? So when you're doing these geophysical surveys, you're not just running a single beam echo sounder that shoots right down to the bottom and then shoots up to the boat. You're, you're using one that shoots a lot of beams out like a fan. and but So if you're in 100 feet of water, that fan may be 300 feet wide under the boat. And you're going back and forth in, in an area for a couple of months scanning the whole seafloor. But still, you're not, you're not shooting that echo sounder out perpendicular to the, to the seafloor to try and reach a kilometer or two and affecting all the area around you. It's pretty localized. So... Those are the activities that are going on right now. There's no, um, we're not pounding monopiles out into the, into the, like, that's not happening. The only thing that's been installed is Block Island out there. And, you know, like the one down in, uh, that, uh, in like West Virginia or Virginia, sorry, West Virginia's inshore, <laughs> Virginia. Um, and Block Island is jackets, right? So jackets, and I don't know how they secured them to the bottom, but a lot of time a jacket is secured to the bottom by a suction pile. So you drop the jacket off the side of the boat. Once it hits the ground, you go down with it or the, the seafloor, you go down with an ROV, you hook up a zip pump to the legs and you start pumping the water out. When you pump the water out, pressure differentiation sucks the piles down into the mud. That's not invasive. That's not going to cause harm to a whale, right? That's that that's that 100, 200 meter circle of that vessel operating and that ROV in the water. And then, and then you're gone to the next one. So there's no real bad extra acoustic activity or something super invasive that's happening because of these wind farms. And that's why we're looking at this, these claims going like, what, what could be underlying? What are, what is, what is a reason that it might be? And I can completely understand why someone might sit in an office, not have a lot of information and say, man, we've been seeing a lot of whales wash up on the shore. So we'd like to have, uh, you know, a letter from whoever, whatever agency to say, Yes, we've we've 100% cleared this, you know, out of an abundance of caution, this isn't going to happen. But if you really wanted to stop all the right whales being injured, you'd have a you you know, you'd use the tagging system that you're using now and you'd have echolocation and you'd find out where they are currently and if there's one cruising through a port, you'd shut all the port traffic down. Well, the the, the US government being capitalistic as, as a society isn't going to do that. Most of these deaths have been proven to be from being struck by vessels. So if you shut all the vessel traffic down, that may solve, to one study, 58% of the deaths of these whales. But that also is going to slow down the U.S. economy. And that's just not going to happen.
Right. And I, the wild card here is the amount of ship traffic on the East Coast right now, which is at, at record highs. Uh, Port of Houston, Port of Savannah, South Carolina, and Port of Virginia each broke volume records in 2022. And shippers on the East Coast in general are seeing uh, much more traffic because of the issue of the ports on the West Coast. So instead of taking your cargo ship and, and hitting the port of Long Beach in California and trying to use trains to get it to the East Coast, what they're doing now is they're taking those ships to the East Coast where the whales are. So you're seeing an increased number of ships moving in these areas. And as Joel pointed out, there are restriction zones where the ships can only move at 10 knots, but they're relatively small. And around those port entry areas, like around Philadelphia, uh, New York Harbor, uh, once you get outside those immediate areas, uh, you can be whatever speed your ship is wanting to go. Well, there's whales out there too. The whales aren't just limited to those little inlets. They don't have a GPS heads up that says, oh, I got to stay within this circle. They don't have it. Right. So the increased amount of traffic in these areas is most likely causing some part of the problem. And But weirdly enough, we've seen zero discussion about that in news articles and uh, and maybe the scientists haven't connected the dots yet or are or, or still most likely still studying this. But there's just no evidence that these sonar units, which have been used worldwide, and there's whales all over the world, um, have any issues with with whales. I mean, if you really, you know, if you want to boil it down to like the the those ports that the, all this shipping traffic is coming in are also the ports that have the 10 knot speed limit on it. So it has been identified that these are right whale traffic areas, and also high human traffic areas. Also to note, those ports are the same ones that have the exact same, sorry, I'm getting a little bit excited here, but have the exact same site characterization surveys that are going on for these wind farms are regularly happening in those ports. So the multi-beam echo sounder, the, uh, the core drilling, all that stuff to maintain an active port, you are consistently doing that. Every time there's every time you're in a port and a port authority has someone come through and dredge something, before they dredge it, there's a multi-beam echo sounder survey done. And after they dredge it, there's another one done to update all the bathymetric charts. So all of the stuff that hap- is happening out where Empire Wind and Vineyard Wind and Blue Wind and all these great uh, wind energy uh, locations are being you know explored for, uh, all of the things that are happening out there are also happening and have been happening for 50 years in those same port areas. So to blame it on a multi-beam echo sounder scrambling the brains or the acoustic navigation system of a, a right whale is to say that it's always been happening in the port itself already. So so I think what Alan and I, you know, we sometimes we like to take different opinions on things, but right now it, it really feels like to both of us that there's a little bit of scapegoating going on here. And it seems to be more of a political news game than it is an actual science-based uh, facts that are being put out to the public. Right. And it, it's not particularly hard to find some of this data. Now, Joel and I have been looking at this over probably the last week. Right. So there's been a lot of different studies and some of these studies are hundreds of pages. So it's a lot to sift through. But when you start connecting, looking at all the data that has been accumulated over the last six, seven, eight years, and then 
hearing the news stories, they just don't connect. The, the, the research data is pointing in a completely different direction than what the news articles are. And it's a little disappointed, disappointing in that uh, you think that reporters would at least do a couple of Google searches and figure out what's going on, or maybe call Boehm, or, or maybe call Noah and get some feedback on what they think is happening. Because there are experts in this field that have been doing it a long time that probably have some really good insight into it. Yeah, I mean, and what that what that says to me is that the truth that would come from these people isn't wanted to be put in the news. Doesn't get clicks. It's it's this this is to me is a classical case of macro versus micro nimbyism. I don't want to look at those wind farms. Please stop developing them. Right, and if you have a problem with a wind farm, great. You say your piece. Go to the local township meetings. Go to the city council meetings and say what you think. That's totally fine, but. You can disagree with having with with what's happening with wind farms. They're saying that the people that work on these wind farms and are doing these surveys just don't care about the sea life. I find that hard to believe. That's just not the kind of people that are on boats out there doing this work, particularly if you're in the in renewable energy business. One of the reasons you're doing it is because you care about the planet and you care about the animals and the creatures that live there. To to say you're injuring one of the rarest mammals on the planet just feels wrong. You know, you better back that up with some data if you're going to make that, make that claim. Yeah, totally agree. There's, there's something here um, that will come out in the wash eventually, I hope. But I do know before you get to the site characterization of the seafloor and everything, you do met, met ocean surveys, which is basically like you're putting buoys out. You're putting, you want to know the salinity, the wave height, the temperatures, the currents, all these things of the, of, it's called met ocean studies to know what the, the water situation is going to be before you even get to the, the subsea because there, you know, you run into issues like it, a lot of people don't know this, but in like the North Atlantic where a lot of wind farms are, there's two and three knot subsea currents all day long. So it's a difficult, it's actually a difficult operation subsea to make sure that your cable lay is correct. The rock dumps are on it, right? You don't have scour around the base of your turbines all the time. You have to complete, you have to be inspecting that stuff all the time. There's a, 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 a lady that I think they're out of Vancouver. They have a company called, I want to say it's Open Ocean Robotics or something. But they had uh, an ASV, which is an autonomous surface vehicle. And this thing can cruise. I mean, they're sending them off the beach and the things are going through like five meter surf waves flipping over. But it's a little, it's a little unmanned boat. But they were out there actually doing some of the original right whale surveys in the area as a part of uh, the permitting process for a lot of these wind farms. And for when the, when, the, when the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management was setting all these areas up, they're like, we want to know what's going on with the right whales in these areas. Um, and they were a part of doing this. And they had actual, because I, I was talking with her at a, a, a symposium once, and I was like, hey, do you guys ever look at some of this? This was like, a, uh, her name's Julie Angus. I just found it again here. Open Ocean Robotics is the company, really cool company. <clears throat> But they are uh, really, really interesting lady as well. She at one point in time, like, went across the Pacific Ocean paddling by herself. And uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's an impressive individual. Um, but they were a part of doing some right whale surveys in the area of all these wind farms on manned vessels. They had acoustic uh, sensors on board listening for them as they were traveling through these areas. So the, there's a, there's a pretty high understanding of the, travel corridors and activities of those of those mammals it around these areas and they've been cited 
in certain spots so that they don't interfere with them. That's just what we need, right? We need to have that data as we, and Bureau of Ocean Energy Management has seen that data. And I know in the um, uh, research presentations at Northeastern University a couple of months ago, that's one of the issues they were discussing was where the right whales will pass by some of these wind farms off the coast of Massachusetts. And how do you handle the boat traffic back and forth? You have to be really careful at certain times of year. We need to be paying attention to that. It's exactly right. The data is mostly there, and we're going to continue to gather that data because we're all concerned about the right whale, and we're trying to minimize really um, bad incidents, You know, these, uh, these deaths that shouldn't be happening necessarily. Obviously, there's going to be accidents. Things happen. But if we can reduce those, that's important because the number of, of calves born a year are somewhere between 10 and 20. So if you have 20 deaths in a year, you, that population will never grow, right? And that's the problem is that that population has kind of stagnated. So we need to get those calves to develop into full-grown whales and have more calves. And we get that population back up. So these, um, these, these deaths are really troubling and we need to work on it more. But I, I think at this point, Declaring that sonar scans of the ocean floor are causing these deaths are just not correct right now. There's just not enough data to point there. It's a little far-fetched. Yeah, it's, it's a little. I'd say it's impossible. It's possible, but you better bring the data. Yeah, understand it as a, as a thing to bring up as an abundance of caution, but bring this bring the science. That's yeah, 100% correct. <laughs>